I'm Gav. No jewels. He's on assignment. But look, next be- best thing, it's Stuart. Ian Robinson. Another holiday. Another holiday for is it for Jules? No, he's on assignment. Speaking oh, okay. to Didier Deschamps, World Cup winner. Okay. Didier Deschamps, uh, no less. What a weekend, Robbo, because there's so much going on. Mm. Last minute heroics in Barcelona, Inter dropping points again, uh, Liverpool and Brighton. What a game that was. But, oh, and Manchester United with a comeback, huh? How about Team McDominay? But uh, let's start with dissecting Arsenal City. And to do that, it's too big a game for us. Mm. So we have to bring in Mark Ogden as well. Uh, let's just start at the top. Arsenal come out 1-0 winners. Before we talk about how the game unfolded, I was struck by the fact that both managers found the need to throw a bit of a tactical curveball at mm-hmm. us. Certainly, um, Arsenal, by playing Jorginho in midfield instead of Havertz or, or, or Fabio Vieira, and arguably Pep as well, Bernardo Silva in the Rodri role, mm-hmm. was it? Uh, and, uh, of course, some people take issue with Guardiola as, as left-back, and also Grealish and Doku on the bench. Yeah, it was a strange one. You know, to what did what was Jorginho going to bring to Arsenal? Uh, because he would control the ball and control the game. That's yeah, what Spanish but, managers but, like to say. But I don't think he did control the game because it was all it, Man City controlled the possession of the game uh, of the ball for most of the time, uh, with as you said, Bernardo Silva going back into a, a, a deep line position in between the two centre halves. Arsenal pressed with two players. It was uh, uh, Odegaard and Nketiah, but. Uh, Man City always had the spare player so they could go wide but it's what Man City did with the ball when they got it to Ake and when they got it to Diaz in open space they never went anywhere with it and that's where you have to then look at what was the point of keeping the ball at the back for so long was it just to quieten the crowd down which they did at the start of the game Man City but I couldn't see where they were going to penetrate that was the big problem I, Was it that obvious to do but uh, Augie like both both guys saying like oh let me try to throw something unexpected, but then ultimately... Because I arguably Arsenal's game plan didn't necessarily work either. Yeah, well, Arsenal's was forced on them, wasn't it, by the fact that Saka wasn't fair, and that, that was a big one, and obviously Martinelli started on the bench, so Arteta's options were limited a bit, and I guess having Jorginho would enable him to keep the ball better and just have a bit more control of the game, as you were saying. City, I couldn't get my head around the fact that he had Gavardio the left-back. I think Gavardio's a great defender, but he's, you know, you've got a, a left-sided defender in Ake playing centre-half and you've got Guardiola, right-sided defender, playing a left-back. It didn't work, and especially the fact that you've got no Saka bombing down the right-hand side, then City had the option, or the ability, to use that and, and counter against it, but they didn't do it. And it was it was really strange at times watching this really clunky back four, and then you've got Bernardo dropping even deeper than Ruben Diaz at times. It was just a little bit like City were playing. We were trying to play with Arsenal, being a bit too clever, as that as happens at times. And They did that in the Community Shield, exactly the same thing. The first half of the Community Shield, Arsenal never got a kick of the ball. Mm. Manchester City just dominated possession without any sort of penetration. They kept on going. They'd broken the first line, so they're in, they got their, their wide centre-halves out with the ball. They get it into their full-backs. But instead of playing the next ball forward, they then go back. So now the next question is, what were the front players doing? And I was looking at the game and saying, come on, Harland, you've got to make a run. You've got to try and spin in behind the opposition. Give the back players a, a chance to play it forward. Or were they not trying to do that? Were they, were they, were they going to say, we'll just keep it at the back. We'll play slow football. Eventually, we'll get it into you uh, and get it into wide areas, get crosses into the box. I, I do get the feeling that maybe, obviously, uh, these are both attacking managers mm. in terms of, of DNA. But from Pep's perspective, he's like, yeah, if I get a draw here, it's not the end of the world. Mm. Ultimately, he would have had a draw, but for the fact, yeah. but for the shape of uh, Nathan Ake's face, right? Because when Martinelli's shot bounces off his head and goes in the back of the goal, 
by the way, this whole other thing, to me, that's a known goal. Mm. I know, but, eh, but it was on target. I mean, yeah, but is it gonna is it gonna mm. be safe? But whatever. Um so you could he could tell himself that maybe that would have worked. But mm. then equally on the other side, if we're talking about incidents, Kovacic, a lot of people were surprised he stayed on the pitch. Mark, I know you have mm. feelings on this. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was a clear red card for me. And I was at the Tottenham game last week when the referee was told to go to the, the monitor and check out whether Curtis Jones had fouled the Tottenham player. And he went to the monitor, saw the incident, red carded him. Yesterday, Michael Oliver didn't look at the monitor. Now, if the VAR is... He didn't because he wasn't asked to. No, but surely if it's been reviewed, he should say, and it, can he have an opinion himself? It's his game. Can he say, I, want, I need to check this out? Because it was a really bad tackle. And I think we're going back 20, 30, 40 years now. The tackle from behind was outlawed, wasn't it? Mm. it was the most dangerous tackle of the lot. That was a tackle from behind onto his ankle and I was telling, I was texting Gab during the game you know Mark Van Basten one of the greatest players I've ever seen his career was finished because of a, an accumulation of bad tackles from behind mm. now that is the worst kind of tackle Odegaard's ligaments could have been shredded by that tackle mm. didn't send him off five minutes later he had the opportunity to send another yellow card and send him off with the tackle on Rice and didn't even book him now that, that for me Kovacic should have been on the pitch after the right. first one never mind the second but it was madness by Kovacic, really, to, to make... So he should have been off. Yeah, he should have been off. Not, whether he, he gave a straight red card for that, for that second tackle. But the fact that he's almost given him a warning, given him a chance, and then the next tackle, you think, well, he's going to go now. But he got away with it. Mark described it mm. as, you know, the kind of tackle that 30, 40 years ago was perhaps more frequent and led to... Mm. I don't know what you observed. You could you mentioned Marco Van Basten. You probably mm. could have mentioned others. Norman Whiteside, perhaps. But Van Basten's a famous case, isn't it? The guy that yeah. the, the, his career was ended by this, this bad tackle. That was uh, what I would do is I'd I'd say that give Kovacic, us some context. You yeah. played in that area, yeah. and you also and suffered I could some see bad exactly tackles. what Kovacic was trying to do, and it wasn't to to kick uh, Rice. He saw the ball was played short to Rice, and Rice had one pass, and it was out to the fullback. And what Kovacic tried to do was slide down the side of Rice and block the ball being played at, but he got it wrong. And he ends up going into the standing foot of, of Rice. So it ends up being a, a bad tackle. And it doesn't matter whether there's intent or not in the current game. He makes a bad challenge because he goes into the, to the, to the ankle of, of Rice with his stud showing. And once you go to ground, you're always likely to get sent off for that. And he probably should have been sent off for that. The amazing thing was that he then tried to make the same tackle only five minutes later. And he had to go. And the referee right. decided not to send him off. I'm going to stick up for Kovac just for a second. Make the argument, right? Because many times, I think even who've played football at a very low level, like I have, lower than you guys, would know that there are situations where, oh, I'm not trying to hurt him, but if I leave my foot in a little bit and I do and I mistime it, not the end of the world, it's just a foul, right? Do you think that comes into it a little bit? A little bit, but not... So I, I'd have been in, I'd have been, if I was the referee and gone to the monitor, I'd have known that there was no intent there. But under the current laws, it, uh, it ends up being a reckless challenge and it's a dangerous challenge mm. and it could injure the player that you're, you're making it on. The stupid thing was from Kovacic's point of view, he put himself under so much pressure because he makes a foul only five minutes later, which he, he had, should have got his second yellow card for. And, and, and then the manager himself decides to keep him on, which although we were talking about doesn't affect the game, it does because Kovacic couldn't make any tackles. You're the holding midfield player. Bernardo Silva's already been booked. The two holding midfield players, more uh, Bernardo Silva was a bit deeper, they can't make tackles anymore in the whole of that second half. That, that actually sets up, we realise what a gaping hole mm. Rodri left. We're going to get to that in a second, but just sticking with this, obviously the second one, Oliver doesn't give it mm. uh, as a yellow because 
whatever. He didn't deem it as serious as a first or whatever. I, I would hope it's not the stupid like, I don't want to spoil the game by sending somebody off. Uh, Oliver, I think, is too good a referee. Mm. Too good, too good a track record for that. Um, however, and obviously, it's not reviewable by VAR mm. either. On the first one, though, you were wondering why the VAR, who was was John Brooks, yeah. decided not to. This is John Brooks, the referee, mm. not John Brooks, the former Bournemouth mm. player, incidentally, the Welsh little Welsh guy. Yeah. Um, why he didn't send uh, Oliver to the screen. Well, I wonder sometimes whether there's a hierarchy, or there's a hierarchy with referees. We know that Michael Oliver is up there with Anthony Taylor as supposedly the best English referee. Now, if you're deemed to be of a lower level than that, or you're not quite as good as Oliver, then have you got the, the courage to say to him, look, I think you've made a mistake there? Because basically you're telling somebody who's better than you, or, or more senior than you, to review his mistake. So that's, that's a hard one. But what I would do there is just make it mandatory where if it's being reviewed as a serious foul play or a, a reckless foul, the referee has to go over regardless. You can't have it at Tottenham one week where the referee goes over to, to assess it and the week later he doesn't. So if the VAR is reviewing what he deems to be a serious foul play, then the referee should go and see it. So I had some experience with this having spoken endlessly to a whole bunch of referees and including the inventors of VAR about this and protocols and keep getting done. And I think what they would say to that is if you call him over every time, you are essentially re-refereeing the game and you get all sorts of... We have There's enough people, especially in this country, who want to abolish VAR altogether, yeah. right? That means more interruptions, more more dead times. Right? So it, it is a skill about mm -hmm. knowing when to call the referee over and, and when not to. Um, the problem is, Gab, sorry, but the, the, the incident was shown... Well, the VAR was flashed on the big screen. Serious foul play, check. Now, if the whole crowd is expect, is, knows it's going on and the referee just stands with his hands on his hips, that's when it falls down a little bit. If you review it... Because it would actually take him no longer to run over to the side yeah. and look at it as it was waiting for the decision to be made. Right. I think the difference, though, is the way the VAR works is there's people selecting images, mm. showing images, and VAR is making an assessment. If a referee who is running around the pitch and is the adrenaline of the game, all of a sudden, he's, he can go, he can watch along with them. Mm. But there's a reason why they present the most important images mm. to, the VA, to, to the referee who needs time to assess them. So all the other golf that they need to go through and stuff, I think the thinking, and I think it's correct thinking, is we don't want the referee involved with this. The referee only gets involved when, when it's obvious yeah, we've heard the mm -hmm. when there's enough evidence where you're pretty sure the referee will change his mind if he sees it again, or if the referee tells you he didn't have a clear view. Now, what should have happened here, and which maybe did happen, we don't know because we don't have the audio, um, is there would have been a conversation where they say, "What did you see, uh, Michael Oliver?" and he tells them what he saw, mm. and then. The VAR says, okay, if you saw it clearly, are these pictures matching what the referee told me mm. that he saw? Mm. Because if, if the picture shows something else, then I call him over. That, that's very, very roughly how this system's supposed to work. And what you say about like, oh, but I don't want, you know, I'm John Brooks. Nobody knows who I am. Um, I can't go and contradict the great Michael Oliver. I would hope that everybody's grown up about uh, enough about this 
I think even the biggest refereeing... Look, we're front of challenging you because you're, yeah, exactly. you're the only thing we guys program, so we can't challenge you. That isn't real world thinking yeah. because every two weeks they meet up at St George's Park and there'll be a hierarchy. There'll be the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the listen, big dogs, hey, the little dogs, okay. who's which one's which. There's a hierarchy, but it's pretty obvious that John Brooks with 14 replay cameras is going to have more information than Michael Oliver without 14 replay cameras, right? That's pretty obvious. And secondly... You guys are all on the same team. So You're John, all there to help each other. That's the purpose of VAR. So as John Brooks let my psychopath. As, as, to, John, as John Brooks let Oliver down there by not saying you need to look at the monitor. Whose fault is it? No, well, I think maybe, I think if Oliver goes to the side of the pitch and looks at it, he would send him off. Maybe, but maybe Brooks looked at it, had a conversation. Oliver said, No, I saw it clearly. For me it's not a yellow. I saw I saw exactly what you described. Mm. He tries to go and get the ball, he just mistimes it. I don't think it was reckless, blah blah blah. And if Brooks says, yeah, the pictures kind of match that. So when Then that's it. Then that's Brooks' judgment. So when Howard Webb picks his referees for the next round of Premier League games in a couple of weeks, which one should get demoted, if any? Well, should it be John Brooks or Michael Oliver? Because if, if that was a kind of a junior referee, they'd, they'd probably be sent to, to Gillingham next week as a kind of a punishment. Gillingham is a lovely place. It's in Kent, but it's the not Garden the Prem- of England. But it's not but the Premier yes. League. So well, You don't Michael- demote somebody for one thing, but you do get marked down in your assessment. So I'm assuming yeah. if when Howard Webb and his boffins look at it, and they say, all right, Michael Oliver got this one yeah. wrong. It I'd, should have been a red. Or maybe Michael Oliver got this one right. Or maybe John Brooks got it wrong for not saying to Oliver, mate, you should come over. Maybe. I think it's the VAR that's got it wrong. But they'll assess the audio and based on the conversation. There's a process they have to go through. If they didn't go through the process properly, then they'll be marked down. But, but I think there's another element to this as well. This, this debate that we're having now, this will, kind of, this will fade away within 24 hours because Arsenal won the game. Now, last week, when Liverpool were wronged by the, the Lewis Diaz offside situation at Tottenham, that lasted, what, nearly a whole mm. week because Liverpool lost and it cost them, certainly cost them a point, maybe cost them three points. Maybe at the end of the season it could cost them a title, we don't know. But because Arsenal won the game, the significance of that right. mistake wasn't there, so the debate moves on. Yeah, I, 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 sorry, I also think, with all due respect to Mateo Kovacic and his importance to Manchester City's world domination, the incident at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was far, far more serious and oh, far more egregious. But if if, if, if Man City... And it's beyond 10, human error because it's the guy not wanting to correct his mistake. But if Man City had 10 men for 50 minutes... Well, that's great. Yeah, no, no, yeah I, then I, Arsenal I, have got a great chance of winning. They won in the end anyway, so they might Mikel Arteta didn't mention it. If Arsenal had lost that game, Mikel Arteta would have been straight into the press conference demanding that that game be replayed. But, the, but the diff- the, the, there's a difference between the two. One is you quite clearly see he's onside. The, yeah. The other one is still... You can still debate it. <laughs> is it a bad card. chance? Could he have done this? Could he have done that? So the one's a debate. The yeah. other one is absolutely on side. When the VAR himself yeah. and the Tottenham Hotspur yeah. said he was offside. Yeah. Except he did it after he said check complete. Um, on the Rodri point, I mean, you made a great point. This is underscores how Rodri may be Manchester City's most important player. Yeah. Maybe even more than, than, than Holland because as we see Holland... Yeah not on top of his game, they still generally keep winning other than the last two games. Without Rodri, there's so many things that break down. Just a reminder, how annoyed, Robbo, do you think Rodri is and Pep is with Rodri? Well, well, Pep was furious with Rodri when it happened. That red card, and just as a reminder, is Nottingham Forest. He squares up to Morgan Gibbs-White, I think it is. They're 2-0 up at the time. They're 2-0 up at the time. It's the beginning of the second half. They're arguing over, over the ball, throwing the game into each other's face. It is one of the most unnecessary red cards. I, can you just take me to that? I, something tells me you probably, probably very few occasions where you snap 
lost your cool and had a massive brain fart like Rodri did in that game. But you've probably seen other people do it. Uh, yeah, I was booked and uh, booked many, many times, but never for retaliation or arguing. Or it was always for a, for a foul. Right. But you've seen it happen. I've seen what, it happen. And you've coached players where yeah. it's happened. And it's, how does it? Is it just a human thing? Like I don't. Sometimes I think it's just stupidity. Sometimes I, I mean, think Robbie's not stupid. He doesn't do this no, but, often, but, right? But, but sometimes players do it for effect. They do it, you know, to wind up the crowd. They do it for oh, I'm going to show you I'm boss, whatever it may be. He didn't think he was going to get sent off when it happened, and right. then then suddenly he realised I've gone on too far, and he gets himself sent off. And it has affected Man City because we're talking about a player that can, and I always talk about midfield players, need to be able to do both sides of the game. When he's playing as the holding midfield player, not only does he get on the ball and make the team tick, but he can defend as well. You look at the players that were on the field yesterday, Rice can do it for Arsenal. Jorginho can get on the ball and make things happen. He can't defend. Bernardo Silva can get on the ball and make things happen. He can't defend, he can't run, he can't make challenges as Rodri can. And I would say Kovacic was playing that little bit higher. And again, he's in a player that likes to get on the ball and make things happen. He's not the same player when the opposition have the ball. And that's caused Man City problems in the last three defeats they've had. Yeah, I mean, I think with Rodri as well, it affects Haaland because they don't mm. have the same control of the game, the mm. control of the ball. And when that's the case, then Haaland's not getting the same opportunity in terms of chances that are created by players further up the pitch. With Haaland as well, he's missing De Bruyne in a big way because De Bruyne was, was the guy that could spot his runs and could pick him out, and he's missing Grealish. So you've got three big elements to Haaland's goal. I don't think Haaland scored since Rodri was suspended. No. Might be wrong. But anyway, so Rodri makes a, a, a difference to Haaland. De Bruyne does, and Grealish does. So you've got all these things coming together, but still, you know, still a top score in the Premier League. Uh, wearing our captain hindsight uniforms, um, going back to the tactics thing, there, there, there were two big calls. Right? One is... David Raya, um, I'm glad Jules isn't here so I can bring it up and say, like, and again, with all the love and respect in the world for Arteta, what he said at the time, oh, it's just like a, a midfielder you choose based on the opponent, Raya or Ramsdale. It's obviously not, I'm assuming, given that Raya's played every game that, that he's played every game since he chose Raya, except for that League Cup nonsense they were involved in. Um it basically says that, no, Raya is his number one, right? Unless Arceta wakes up tomorrow and says, oh, we won't be playing from the back. We'll just have, we'll just see, we'll, just boo, we'll have a goalkeeper boot it, in which case Ramsdale might play. This thing with Raya playing, for, how much does it add? And and I want to get you, Robbo, on this, but also you too, Mark, because you've got a piece coming up, uh, uh, coming out on this very subject. In terms of... Uh, if you get pressed, you have an extra guy you can pass through, right? There's always a free yeah, hand. That's the idea. But... but uh, yeah, so you've got to have a goalkeeper that's decent on the ball. That's that's a must in today's game. And it's not just playing out from the back, it's decision-making. You know, Raya looked as though he couldn't see a decision. And that comes down to the coach as well. Have you not planned that when it comes back to you, you here's your two or three options. You know, you can go into there, you can go there, and if it's not on, you go longer. Well, it's not can, this can, in the game. Can I ask about that? Because yeah. that's really important. This is the one situation, right, where you're starting, mm. where you can decide everything. It's almost mm. like... It's almost like in American football when, when mm. a quarterback, mm. you know, uh, uh, hikes a ball. Mm. You can tell people where you want them to stand, where they're moving. You know, it's, it's yeah, like yeah. a set piece, but you're actually playing yeah. with it, right? 
Are you suggesting you would have expected to see some basic patterns of play where yeah. Raya would have one, two, three, four reads and options yeah, and stuff? Absolutely. That, that, that's, that, Does he have them and he's not executing because he's not particularly well, good? Well, that's or? what we don't know. I mean, when, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to play as a youngster under a coach called John Cartwright, who was the England youth team manager. And it was a time in the, in the early 80s where he wanted everybody to play out from the back because that's what the foreign teams did. And if you're playing international football, that's what we got to do. And I was the sweeper. And we had significant uh, moves, plays. You know, uh, the, the right back ran their left winger out the way so that a midfield player could go out there and get the ball. Mm. Uh, the two centre-halves would split and I'd come through with the ball. And, and it, So you had all these set moves. So you were doing this 40 years ago. So we assume Arteta's doing yeah. this now, but and just Raya's not executing. So Raya didn't have a thought in his head where my next pass is going to be. And there was one obvious pass to me that was on all the time was the big switch of play from you know when he had time on the ball to hit Jesus. Yes, he was up against Guardiola, but he didn't have to play it in the air. He could have played it almost into the feet so Jesus could... That was the ball that caused the Man City most problems. But he kept on putting his foot on the ball, looking at everybody, thinking, oh, shall I? No, I won't pass it there. Oh, oh I will do it. Of course, it causes problems. I think one of the problems we've got as well is that it was a late signing in the window, so I don't think Arsenal have worked on this. And I think... Listen, a similar one with United and Anana, but I think to have a, a ball-playing keeper and you have to make sure that your outfield players are aware of what he wants to do with it, how he wants to do it, and, and, and the keeper understands what he's got in front of him. Now, you can't just change one sort of goalkeeper for another without working on it. And you have to be a really, really good team to have a ball-playing keeper. And that, but let's, let's, have have a, sorry, let, let's, let's go back to the last... Ramsdale made quite a few mistakes. When yeah. he, he, was, he was The last uh, six or seven games last season... Every time he got the ball, I thought he was going to give it away. So he's not a great goalkeeper. No, but, but are, the, are the players in front of him comfortable enough on the ball to, to be able to deal with it and to be able to make the space for the goalkeeper? Mm. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Pep brought this in really, but Claudio Bravo that season at City was a disaster. It didn't work and he was mm. awful. Eventually got Edison brought in. And I think you have to work at it, but your defenders and midfielders have to also have to be capable of playing with it. Now, I think Arsenal have got a, a decent chance with, with their defenders. I think they're much more comfortable on the ball than the Southern Man United defenders are. You've got Anana at Old Trafford who... He's got four defenders in front of him oftentimes who don't want the ball to feed. Mm. I think it's a bit different at Arsenal, but you can't just drop a keeper in because Ramsdale started the season playing a certain way. Mm. And then the Everton game away from home, all of a sudden raising goal. And then the defenders have got to play different way. They've got to face a different way, haven't they, really? Mm. Rather than looking forward, they've got to look over the shoulder thinking, is he passing it short? Is he going long? And it's just confusion. And one last thing, the fans at the Emirates don't understand it because they were getting really, really agitated yesterday. Now, they... I think they're worried about the risks that he's taking, but that's what Arteta wants. He came after the game and said, I want him to do that. So the fans also have to get on side because if the fans are getting edgy and, and jittery, it'll reflect onto the pitch as well. I mean, I, in a very cruel, heartless uh, sort of sport asset accounting of players, um, Arteta has a bit of luxury. He's given Raya all the support. He's mm -hmm. come out and he said, even like, you just told us, Mark, you know, this is what I want him to do. If it doesn't work out, you're not on the hook because he's only on loan, right? And you mm -hmm. ship him back to, to Brighton or, or, or wherever he came from. So, you know, not that in a really cruel way, you know, there is there is kind of a more limited downside than if, mm -hmm. say, you'd spend 50 million on him, like maybe that club at Old Trafford. So I think it says more, in my view, that he doesn't like Ramsdale. That's what it says. I, he's not because right. Arsenal fans will say Ramsdale was brilliant for them last year. Pundits will say he was brilliant. I didn't think he was quite so good. North London derby that yeah. brings you a lot of credit. And but I and it just tells right. me Alteta doesn't fancy him. Um, two other quick points on this one. 
you brought up Grealish. Obviously, you felt feel that Grealish should have played. Mm-hmm. I think there was a point when I'm wondering why aren't Grealish and Doku on the pitch? We saw Doku, we didn't see Grealish. Mm. I just thought that Foden played badly. Alvarez, I, I was disappointed. Yeah. Um, what what's he thinking there, Mark? I mean, you live closer to Pep's house than yeah. before I do, so you would know. You're asking me what Pep is thinking. I mean, nobody can tell what Pep's <laughs> thinking ever, but. I, I think yesterday they needed something like really a, a creative who could have broken the lines a little bit better because it, it was a very kind of uh, See, I, limited. I, I, I have to disagree with you on this. Grealish is not the player he was at Aston Villa. When he was at Aston Villa, he ran past, but I haven't seen Grealish run past anybody. But he became a better player seasons. in his second season. I think he's, he's become he a City player. Square and back. He'd have just done what all the other players from Man City were doing. Yesterday. I think he's a bit more bolder than that. I think oh, you're right. He doesn't run the players anymore. He's not, he's, I won't say he was selfish. He's selfish for the right reasons mm. at Villa. But I think he, he, he's developed. I think last second season at City was really good. The first season he didn't know what to do. But I think I do think they miss him in that final mm. third. And I think and when Doku came on, I think he, he's had a great start to the season. Again, I, I'm surprised it didn't do more. I'll play more yesterday. It's just Pep. It's just Pep does try and confuses it all the time. Yeah, but I also wonder very simply, I mean, what Grealish does and Doku does is they're good at winning free kicks. Certainly better than Julian Alvarez is, right? In terms of running people. There's no shame as well. You win free kicks, set pieces. I've got I've got Ake who's good in the air. I've got Ruben Diaz who's good in the air. I've got Guardiola who's big in the air. Okay, I don't have Rodri. I have that, that, that Holland fellow who's long and tall. How about I take my chances on that against an Arsenal side who... You know, you've got the centre backs and you have Rice off the top of, unless I'm forgetting somebody. There's nobody else who's particularly good in the air, right? Where, where so does Alvarez play? Alvarez was sort of playing through the right wing, come inside right, which would have been ideal for Doku, who's then going to go at people with more pace. Whereas Alvarez is a centre forward, come number ten, who's out of position out on the right hand side, and that's why he doesn't play particularly well out there. I, I think Pep and Juan Mali are having a lot of conversations in their mm. uh, post mortem uh, right now. Final point, after the game, Kyle Walker got into it with this Arsenal set-piece coach I'd never heard of, sorry, mm-hmm. who used to work at Man City. Is this relevant? Is this a thing? A lot of players got involved. Do we want to speculate about what was said? Was he was he asking about Kyle Walker's tattoo, maybe? I, 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 I might defer Stu on this. I'm sure he's been in a few tunnel bust-ups in his time. Well, I, I think uh, Arsenal at the moment are a side that um, when they win a game... They wind everybody up. They over-celebrate. It, they go mad on the field. They wind up the opposition. Because the City, you're kind of used to it. And yeah. Arsenal aren't. Yeah. yeah. It's but understandable, it's, right? But you, we use, I mean, at the Community Shield, the, the celebrations at the Community Shield and the way they did everything and the crowd stand back, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing, really. And but, that's what they're trying to do. They, they're what, the opposition, when they lose to Arsenal, are getting wound but up. But it's like, it's like the classic case. It's show me a good lose, I'll show you a bad lose, mm. and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, back in the day when Arsenal lost at, at Old Trafford, the old Pizzagate thing, that mm. was because they, were, they weren't used to losing. City aren't used to losing, and, and they're reacting mm. in a negative way. So it's not a bad thing. I think it mm. just shows what sort of a team of winners they are. I, I'm just disappointed here at the Grinch who stole football. Like, too much celebration when they win. Come All right, enough Arsenal. How about some quick hits instead? Absolutely, let's Barcelona go. Barcelona come from uh, two goals down to snatch a point away to Granada as the Smurf-like Brian Zaragoza steals the show. Quickest goal in the history of La Liga, by the way. Or oh, the history of Barcelona, I think. Uh, Robo, Xavi said Barcelona looked good in their 2-2 draw. Do you agree? No, I don't. In the first half, they didn't play particularly well. They had quite a bit of possession without making 
that many chances. Uh, they were caught. They were terrible in the first. They were terrible. They, they got caught on the ball. I mean, the very season. 17 seconds in, uh, Gavi gets caught on the ball. Gundogan was playing the holding midfield role, uh, missed his tackle. Uh, Christensen then decides to get square and try and go towards the ball and leave space in behind him. And they were vulnerable to the counter-attack on too many occasions. So they weren't creating chances. They weren't uh, solid defensively. It wasn't good from Barcelona until probably the, the last 20 minutes or so. And then even then, of course, Aragosa had that chance where he hit Big the post at the end. That was huge. Uh, can you, by the way, speaking of, before we give Granada too much love, can you explain to me what, uh, as a former pro, what Callejon and Vallejo were doing on, on uh, João Felix uh, when, I mean, that was for the Barcelona goal. Yeah. Correctly, the 2-2. The two, two. Yeah. Well, is that how you teach people to defend? Uh, Vallejo. Uh, Run into the player and then yeah. throw yourself to the ground? Well, that was Callejon who did the second one. Vallejo as well. Yeah. He just lies on the ground. He got a little nudge in the back. And it was a little nudge in the back and he went down. You're defending your own penalty box. They were trying to win a free kick. Of course they were. And they thought the game would be stopped. But it wasn't. And it was the right decision by the referee. But also, the right it's a nudge. Yeah. It's a nudge from João Felix. Yeah. It's not a ju- nudge from Sergio Ramos. It's no. not a judge from... I, it's a nudge from freaking... A couple of good substitutions by the coach. They'd just come on as well. They'd only been on the pitch oh about God. five minutes. And, and I really like Ayahon, but nah, he let yeah. me down there. Wild stuff in Genoa, Gab, as Olivier Giroud ends up between the sticks to preserve Milan's 1-0 win that leaves them top of the table. Yeah, that's right. I, like, I, don't, I think Milan played well. I don't think they were great. Uh, their goal was mm. very controversial uh, mm. from Christian Pulisic. Was it a handball? Was it not a handball? Depending what what pictures you look at, VAR yeah. felt they didn't have enough to send the referee to the screen. I think this is going to be, deb- be deb- debated all week. But what was interesting was at the end, uh, Magnan comes off his line, totally wipes out Egebuka, uh, I think is the mm-hmm. um, this is a Genoa striker. Um, he has to go. He has to get sent off. Mm-hmm. Pulisic is like, oh, oh, coach, can I go in the sticks? And they're like, uh, no, because you're four foot two. Uh, Olivier Giroud, goes between the sticks. He puts on Mike Mignan's shirt. He makes one kind of save where he comes off his line really uncoordinated. When you see the replay, he's like closing his eyes and turning his, like, he's doing all that you're not supposed to do, but whatever. Uh, I generally hit the crossbar, incidentally, just before that. Uh, It's a big emotional win that you can ride if you're Milan. I think if Pioli's smart, he's not going to rest on his laurels because of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And the bad news is uh, Mignan obviously will now be suspended. Mm -hmm possibly for three games, and Theo Hernandez also suspended. Giroud's not the only outfield player that's gone in goal over the years. I went in goal for Arsenal twice. Did you? Yeah. And were you were you a little wuss who like, turned his face away? No. no. I, at the time, I made two saves from Peter With, who was then playing for Aston, but who were European champions. There you yeah. go. So there we are. Back to Barcelona. La Mal becomes La Liga's youngest ever goal scorer, just as he's the youngest ever goal scorer in the history of the Champions League. Robbo, um, I was skeptical about Lamine Yamal playing so young, but I was clearly proven wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were a young prodigy yourself once. What's the difference today? Uh, what I like about him, he looks, you know, when you look at young players, they can be impetuous, they can show great skill, but make wrong decisions. He seems to make the right decision time after time. He has an old head. Yeah, and when the ball comes out to him, you think, yeah, he's going to go past his man. If he can't go past his man, he'll set somebody else up. He just looks to have a great football brain at the moment. And he was in the right place at the right time to mm-hmm. score that goal. So he's an outstanding player. And, and I'm sure as long as they learn their lesson, Barcelona. Remember, they've overplayed Pedri in the previous years. They've overplayed Gavi in previous years. Overplayed Ansu Fati. They can't do it with this young player. If you're going to go back further, Bojan Kerchik, yeah. Kerchik as well. There's, yeah. there's many over the years. 
Bayern beat up Freiburg 3-0 and turn up maybe their best performance of the season. Gab, they're still third, two points back, but are they on the right track? They look good. Freiburg mm-hmm. were also terrible. I thought it was important that they turned in a performance as well um, because they really, I thought it was very labored against Copenhagen, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. ending up coming from behind, winning 2-1 on the road. I mean, still a result because they yeah. had better players. Um, but this actually is the kind of thing I think you can build some confidence on. Now, that said, you know, when you don't have, say, Musiala in your starting, your starting lineup or whatever, are you seeing the real buy-in in terms of mm. building chemistry or are you seeing other guys? I'm not sure. But I'll tell you what, in this situation, when they need something, I'll give Tuchel credit for this. He gives Leroy Sané the freedom to go and, and hurt people. And he's had a good season so far. He's had a good season, and I thought he was close to unplayable mm. in, in that game. It finishes 2-2 between Brighton and Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp says it was a fair result. I'm not sure Roberto De Zerbi agrees. Who are you with, Robbo? Uh, I thought De Zerbi's team played really well for most of the first half. They certainly dominated the play. They caused Liverpool all sorts of problems, the way they were playing, the way they were getting into wide areas, how they were breaking the lines of Liverpool. But if you're a team that play out from the back and you take risks, you're going to cause yourselves problems. And that's what happened with both sides in, into a certain degree. The first well, you know goal. what you guys were saying before about chemistry, settled team, good mm. defenders, blah, blah, blah. Does that be changes like six or seven guys mm. every game? I mean, these dudes, Baleba, mm. the, the guy who scored the goal as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yet they still do it and they still get results. Yeah, yeah. Because there must be something in the philosophy. They must all work together. They must train uh, in their patterns of play because... They, they do the same thing, doesn't matter who's playing, they do the same sort of style of football. Yes, they take risks, and there's going to be games where they're, uh, they're counter-attacked too easily, they make mistakes at the back, Brighton, but in general, they're a great side to watch at the moment. Uh, I didn't think Liverpool played that badly. No, although, they didn't play badly, no. I, I can see where the Zerbi's coming from, but the goal, Andy Robertson got slaughtered for it. Can you just explain the dynamic of going with your wrong foot? Uh, yeah... Like why do why put him there if you know he's not going to play the ball with his with his weaker foot to clear it? Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes, it's, yeah, it's a difficult situation. Uh, sometimes you you go with your wrong foot. Sometimes you have to go with your right one. It's it all happens in a, in a very very short space of time, and you have to make the right decision. When you make the the right clearance or you get the ball away, everyone goes, "Oh, that's great." But if you do the wrong thing, you look silly. Yeah, you look silly. Now into race to a two 0 lead at home to Bologna. But are them pegged back to two all? Gab, that's a five-point drop in the last two home games after taking the league. That's not good enough, is it? No, it's really bad, and people are slaughtering Inzaghi mm-hmm. for it. Um, personally, I would focus on the fact that they were really good mm-hmm. for the first 45 minutes. Yeah. And they were. Again, they could have scored more than two. Dr. Martinez gives away a penalty for, mm-hmm. you know, and I hate the stereotype, but making a striker's, needless strikers tackle in the mm-hmm. box. And then... The, the Bologna equalizer, they all kind of lose their mind. And by the way, check this out on YouTube if you haven't seen it. I, it seems like George Zirkse, like almost like passes the ball in the back of the net and wrong foots um, Jan Sommer. People talk about his obsession with substitutions, never changing the formation, adjusting the games. You know what? He was doing this last year too. Mm-hmm. And they had a really, really good season, got to the Champions League final. Uh, I don't have an issue with that. I think it's more of a, of a mental thing, which mm. I don't normally like to say mental thing, but I think that's what it is here. I didn't expect we'd see a Harry Maguire, Johnny Evans partnership for Manchester United in 23-24, um, but Robbo, that happened. And just as the wheels were coming off 
and they were a goal down in injury time. Scott McTominay scores twice to give Eric Ten Hag his first league win at Old Trafford since August. That happened too. Yeah, that, and he needed it. You know, I've done a couple of Manchester United games recently. Uh, did the Galatasaray game where they play some quite decent football. What I'm seeing with Manchester United at the moment, we've been talking about uh, systems of play, whatever. Manchester United at the moment, and they're not playing particularly well, they rotate all over the pitch so much. You know, Bruno Fernandes has played on the right, then he goes into the centre, and then the right, the central player goes out to the right-hand side. They've had Amrabat, he wasn't at the weekend, playing at left-back, and then goes into central midfield, and then goes and plays a sweeper, and everybody has to rotate around those sort of things. That's OK when you're doing really well, and you're winning games comfortably, and you're just trying to add some icing onto the cake. At the moment... Manchester United needs to get back to the basics and get some sort of formation, some sort of style of play, some sort of patterns of play where they can dominate games and win games. And then they can elaborate on their style when they're doing well. You can't do that when confidence is low and you're not playing particularly well. And McTominay got them out of trouble. There's no question about it. I'll say this. I see celebration at the end. Every indication I have is the players, rightly or wrongly, Mm -hmm. still have trust in in Mm -hmm. Ted Hogg or at least trust in each other. Like I don't think the spirit's gone bad at the club. No, I don't think, I think you're absolutely right. Now, Real Madrid beat up Osasuna 4-0 and Jude Bellingham does it again, scoring twice. Gab, it's 10 goals in 10 games across all competitions. That's how Cristiano Ronaldo started his career at uh, Real Madrid. Yeah, and at the risk of uh, making the Cristiano fanboys uh, angry, uh, I'll say the parallel's not quite right because, yes, both have scored 10 goals in 10 games after arriving at the Bernabeu. Bellingham also has three assists, whereas Cristiano had one. Uh, Cristiano, when he arrived, uh, was a forward. Uh, he was mm-hmm. 24 years old. Uh, Bellingham, uh, and he had won the Ballon d'Or, by mm. the way, already. Yeah. Bellingham is a guy who just turned 20 over the summer, and he's still a midfielder. Um, he's in some sort of weird twilight zone where everything he does is right. I don't know if he can sustain this, but I think we're in the presence of something really, really special. And also, a shout-out to Vini in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of doubts about whether he can play more centrally and how he does. The I think it was the fourth goal that they scored. It was Hussel, a set-up play to Hasselou, yeah. He looks like a centre-forward. Yeah, He looks like a centre-forward. Chests yeah. it down, holds off the defender, lays it off. Great See, ball he, as well, yeah. You can do yeah. that. You yeah. can do that, Vini. It took him a long time to do that in the game. Yeah, I know, but he got there. Tottenham Hotspur played the second half of the game with 10 men and still beat Luton 1-0. Robbo, uh, they sit atop the Premier League alongside Arsenal. What did you learn? Well, the first... The Luton are not good, yeah? Yeah, Luton are very good. Okay. But the first 20, 30 minutes, I really enjoyed watching Tottenham play. They played some great fleet, uh, free-flowing football. They created chance. They didn't take their chances. Kulisevsky was excellent out on that right-hand side. You know, Richarlison looked to be somewhere near his best. Madison was running the game. And when they went down to 10 men, they showed a bit of spirit. Luton had a couple of chances. And, of course, they scored their goal when they were down to 10 men, Spurs. So, uh, you know, it's a decent performance, and I think they're going places at the moment. Top of the league, baby! Spe- uh, speaking of top of the league, Gab, how about Bayer Leverkusen? They've been brilliant, haven't they? I, I'm out of superlatives for Xabi Alonso and this Bayer Leverkusen game. You know, it, it is still a derby of sort, the Rhine derby against Cologne. They win 3-0. It's nine wins in 10 games this season. The one game mm-hmm. they didn't win was a draw away to Bayern Munich, which finished 2-2, which a game which could have gone either way. Uh, and this is after summer in which, you know, they lost people like, mm-hmm. well, like Musa Diaby, for example, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, big players to them. Um, this is what the hype's all about. They're fun to watch, mm-hmm. and they're much better defensively. And when were... when the, he took over, they were way down the table, weren't they? Last season, uh, yeah, a year and a half ago, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it wasn't coming. It wasn't working. Back to Spurs. Ibisuma uh, was sent off after getting a second yellow for diving. Robo, 
getting second yellows or diving, I think, is incredibly stupid. Doing it when you're outside the box at the end of the half, I don't understand this at all. No. And if you're going to uh, dive, dive, make sure it's inside make, the box. Yeah, uh, or make sure that you make some sort of contact with the player that you're, you're pretending has failed you. It was a silly thing to do. You know, you got a yellow card uh, and it could have cost Spurs uh, three points. But in the end, they got the victory. But I'm sure the manager, your mate Ange Postacoglu, will be having a word with him. Big Ange to you. Big, big Ange to me, yes. Paris Saint-Germain win 3-1 away to Rennes and a third in league. Uh. Gab, does this mean they have, well, there was a fallout from the heavy defeat in the Champions League at St. James's Park? No, there was no fallout because, no. Um, well, sorry, the main thing, hopefully, no more of this 4-2-4 nonsense, mm. uh, not unless you practice it for a long time. And uh, they went 4-3-3. They, they, I think they were determined to show um, that this is who they yeah. actually are. 4-3-3 makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Warren's area, and when you check out his pass for uh, uh, Hakimi on the first goal, it was a bit special. Mbappe doesn't get on the score sheet, but so what? Uh, it's a big win, and it keeps and it keeps them ticking over. I think yeah. a bad result here with the window coming up, and eh, not good for Luis Enrique. Mm. Don't look now, but it's three wins in a row for Chelsea as they beat Burnley four one. Robbo, are you seeing signs that Poch is getting a handle on this team? Yes, uh, I think they are playing uh, with more confidence now. Uh, it helps that they've got. Uh, Sterling playing uh, somewhere near his very best. He was outstanding against Burnley, making forward runs, going into wide areas. Uh, Jackson linking up the play quite well. They're quite dominant in midfield. Enzo Moises Caicedo showed up. Yes, he was playing deeper and Fernandez was trying to play that little bit further forward, which I thought like. worked quite well. Hmm. Uh, I thought, uh, uh, Cucurella was the playing at right back was always going to be difficult, but in the end they got a good result and Poch is getting the best out of the players at the moment. Now, Atletico Madrid get a huge win over Real Sociedad as Antoine Griezmann scores a late penalty but Gab there were some big VAR calls in this game wasn't there? Uh, there were I didn't just want to focus on the, on the big calls I, I, just talking about the game I thought Real Sociedad played really really well mm. um, they hit the woodwork a couple times uh, Atleti I think got some things wrong afterwards yeah. maybe a little fortunate to get all three points on the penalties uh, the, Carlos Hernandez is on the ground I heard the commentator say by the letter of the law he has to give it, but he's got this back to goal. He's got his back to the ball. He's on the ground. His arm is out because he's trying to get up. I mean, I don't know. I kind of, I thought that was harsh, but that's you the don't one. Believe all commentators say, do you? No, exactly. Absolutely. The Morata yeah. one, I thought uh, that should have been a pen. Yeah. A late Thomas Suchek goal gives West Ham a two-two draw with Newcastle. Robbo for all the tune talk uh, after the win over Paris Saint-Germain. Your old club are now ahead of them in the table. Yeah, uh, there's bit fortunate. A bit fortunate. There's a lot of I know a lot of West Ham supporters. There's a lot that are very happy with the way they're playing and David Moyes and the results they're getting. I know a lot of other supporters that are a little bit unhappy with their style of play, uh, particularly away from home when they just leave Antonio up front and and try and plan the counter attack. It's worked for them on certain occasions, but some of their counter attacking players are playing uh, well at the moment. Paqueta's playing much better than he did in the, his first season. Bowen is back to where he was uh, maybe a couple of years ago, coming in off that right hand. Nice finish from Kudus. Nice finish from Kudus. It was an excellent goal from him. So at the moment, I think West Ham are doing okay. They they deserve to be where they are. I I think also Newcastle deserve a little bit of love because I think it can take a lot out of you. Absolutely. Um, A performance like that, even even if it's successful, Mm. it goes, oh, it gives you a lift. Yeah, I know, but it's still... And a great ball from Trippier for the the big diagonal and he plays it straight back into it. That was a great volley. I'm giving up a goal away from home early in those circumstances. I I don't know. I, I, I was impressed. Yeah. Uh, Paul Pogba's B sample has come back positive for testosterone, but Juve uh, gets some relief on the pitch as they beat Torino 2-0 gap. 
Yeah. I, so this is ugly UV. This is ugly, effective, results-oriented yeah. UV. I'm going to give Max Allegri a pass on this one. He's got he's got a free pass. He doesn't get many from me, as yeah. you know. Um, because in a week like this, when you've had the Pogman news, which you knew was coming, but still, um, when you know the ownership revealed that they had to make another uh, equity injection to the tune of two hundred more than two hundred million, uh, you just needed a result here. You had no Dusan Vlaovic, mm. no, no no Federico Chiesa. So they're super defensive against the Torino team that grinds, and they get two set piece goals with with Milik and, and Ganti as well. I was very happy that he scored. Mm. It's a result. Move on. I want to see better from them, but you know this wasn't the game in which it was going to happen. No. We need to talk Stuttgart because they're second in the table after beating Wolfsburg three one. Robo, Serhugi Rassi scored a hat-trick, and he's now up to 13 on the season, which I believe is more than Erling Haaland, more than mm-hmm. Kylian Mbappe, mm-hmm. more than Jude Bellingham, more than all our heroes out there. This is a guy, Serhugi Rassi, he's 27 years old. Mm-hmm. He's already scored more goals this season than he has in any season of his career. How does that happen? I... Uh, yeah. It's an easy thing to say because we, we, we you you don't always like uh, the talk of mentality. Players can have a run where their confidence goes sky high, and that's what's happened with Gerasi. He scored a couple of early goals. Suddenly, he feels part of the team. Suddenly, the team think he can score goals. We get the ball into him a bit more. We get balls into the box, and he looks like a player. He's playing full of confidence. And when you're playing with uh, full of confidence, you're you're a yard quicker. You see the action uh, a, a second quicker. You anticipate that little bit more. Hopefully, it will last him for the rest of his career. But you know these sort there of There won't be regression of mean, you think? No, I think he will have a, a, a very good spell and he'll probably go back a little bit and he might have another very good spell. But that's what happens when a player of that sort of age suddenly has a great spell. His confidence is, is sky high. He founds that little bit of form and it lasts for maybe six months or so. He's on pace to score 60-odd goals in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah, well, let's hope he does. Tough times for Napoli, Gab. Beaten 3-1 at home by Fiorentina. Rudy Garcia under a lot of pressure, I would say. So Fiorentina played really well. Napoli not so much, mm-hmm. although I think Osimhen uh, should, uh, should have had a penalty. Um, the reason Rudy Garcia gets killed is half an hour in, Anguissa comes off, and does he replace him with another midfielder? No. He says, let me change the system. Let me send on Raspadori. And then when the 2-1 down, chasing the game, this is about, I think it was, I don't know, 20-odd minutes ago, he makes another change, and he takes off Lobotka, Zelensky, and Osimhen. Now, it's not like, you know, he sent on, like, Tom, Dick, and Harry to replace them. But still, this is not what fans want to see. Politano, who came off earlier... He had a real go at him. It's the third time this season. Politano, Osimen, and Kvaratskhelia, all of them have had public goes at Rudy Garcia. He's got to be very careful before because people are going to turn against you. You're going to lose the fans. I know it's a tough act to follow. Yeah, it's going to, it is a tough act to follow when you've just won the title for the first time for many, many years and you come in and... yeah, Maybe this triple change when you're chasing a game at home. Before Not a good idea. Break. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. A late, late Yusef and Nasiri goal gives Sevilla a 2-2 draw at home with Rayo Vallecano. That's not enough to save Jose Luis Mendilibar's job. Robbo, he won the Europa League last year, and now he's gone. Well, he saved them a lot last year. They were in real trouble when he took over. That He was the third cons- manager. Yeah, he was considered a safe pair of hands, uh, quite calm in his approach. He got the players playing a very sim- 
simple uh, game plan. They obviously did well uh, in Europe. They won the title. But there wasn't any inspiration about their play and you felt as though it wasn't going to last forever. He was just, I think the players were happy that he was there rather than the previous two managers that they'd had. And now it's all faded away. So I can understand why he's gone. I feel sorry for him because he did such a great job last year, but this season hasn't started well for them at all. Girona somehow stays second as Alex Garcia gives them a one nil well over Cadiz. Gab, the other Michel is working wonders. Will they still be in the top four come the end of the season? The other Michel uh, of course, is the manager of Girona, yes. the real Michel. The original the, Michel, of course. The Real Madrid was, man. Was the legendary Real Madrid midfielder. Yep. I'm part, of course, of Quinta del Buitre in the late 80s. But let's not go there. Let's not, let, let's not go back to that. Um, he's doing well. I don't know that the story is quite as romantic as people suggest because obviously their owners are, you know, and the shareholders are City Football mm-hmm. Group. Um, there's Marcelo Claude, of course, is also part owner of Inter Miami. But you look at these players, you look at the way they fit together, you look at these use some loans very judiciously. Um, they have got Eric Garcia playing for them. That, that can't be a... That can't <laughs> he's be a actually thing, playing can. reasonably well uh, uh, for them. Uh, I don't think they're going to be in the uh, top four at the end of the season because I think not just Barcelona Real Madrid, but Atletico and Real Sociedad have too much. I think there's other teams that can, can move up too, but... If you look at the difficult start of the season that teams like Sevilla and Villarreal have had, other traditional contenders, I see no reason why they can't get into the Europa League. Roma get a big win as they beat Cagliari 4-1 and Romelu Lukaku scores two goals. Robo Mourinho needed that, but how big a blow is losing Paolo Dybala? He certainly did need it because I've been very unimpressed with Mourinho's team for quite a while now in the style of football and, and it looks as though they have no real... Patterns of playing, game plan. It's a little. That's why bit... they need Dybala. Exactly, and that's exactly Dybala's the one when the game gets broken and it's there's no real. You're not dominating the play. He's the one that can come out with something different. He can go past people. He can find a pass that somebody else might not be able to see. He's not a consistent player, but he's somebody that can break down the opposition with a bit of skill. And if he's out, he's going to be badly missed. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a weird one. Roma are mid table. I Mourinho hasn't been offered a new contract or hasn't. I'm not surprised. Um... And, you know, he was all grumpy about it. A guy of his stature needs can't go into the season with one year left. You know, like, like say, Carlo Gelotti, for example. Mm. But um, the reality is Roma are under a settlement agreement with UEFA. Mm. They've spent a ton of money, um, both Indian wages and transfer fees. And, you know, the well is going dry. And mm. a lot of people are pretty sure that he's going to go to Saudi afterwards. I don't know. I don't think Mourinho wants to go to Saudi just yet. Mm. We might not have too many other choices. Now, Lazio win a wild one at home to Atalanta, 3-2, but Maurizio Sarri gets sent off. Do you think he needs anger management classes, Gav? If he's taking them, they're not working well. This is ridiculous. I, I, Lazio actually played really, really well. I, I, I think they thoroughly deserved um, uh, the victory over Atalanta, mm-hmm. who also played well. I thought it was an entertaining game. But you can't do this every time. It feels like every time he either gets himself sent off or afterwards he goes and complains about something. He's too stressed out. I, he's, he's always on a knife edge. And, and it's weird for a guy who can play really pretty football. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, at some point, it can get a little toxic and a little embarrassing. Has this always been the case with him or is this something that he's, he's sort of got to do over the last couple of years we, he, he like you know drinks a vat of coffee every hour and you know he smokes three <laughs> packs of cigarettes a day he's not the most chilled out personality <laughs> but he's 
you know, he's in, he plays interesting football. He plays attractive football. I think potentially he's a very good manager. Mm. Um, but you just can't let yourself go. Like, you know, I, it's, it's just it's like a child out there. You're leading these people. You know, they need you. Don't get sent off. Mm. You're not, you know, I'm sorry, in your career, how often has it happened that a manager shouting at the referee from the sidelines, pump the referee, come, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, I shouldn't have uh, given that free kick earlier. Here, let me invent a penalty. But, but get, don't you think I mean, now I, managers play up to the crowd and play up to their players? It's something yeah, that's... It's fine, but like, you know, you can do that. Some managers oh, definitely I don't do. agree with it. I'm saying that... Arteta does be, it. Mourinho does it. Other managers yeah. do it. Conte does it. Klopp, people have said it. Don't. But it's the, the, fans, is, fault. It's the know, fans' fault because they say we want to see no, passion no, no. From but here's the difference Maurizio Sarri's been popular with the fans mm. he's not he's not like oh it's our god Sarri the way people say it's our god Mourinho it's our god mm. he's not he's a guy you know so it just doesn't make any sense this is all in his own head Monaco stay top of Ligue 1 with a 3-1 win away to Will Still and Stad Rams uh, Flo Balogun scores again now it's 3-4 and four. Robbo did Arsenal make a mistake in letting him go Come on, Flo Balogun or Eddie and Ketia. Come on, you know you oh, want Balog- to go Balogun's there. probably uh, a better player, I would say. Uh, Eddie and Ketia's done okay on occasions, but I still don't think he's a, he's going to uh, be a regular player for Arsenal. The he least- is a regular player for Arsenal. Then- Answer this question. Is Eddie and Ketia a regular player in a team that wins the Premier League? No. Okay. I don't think so. Because uh, originally, Jesus was going to play that role. Jesus played it brilliantly until he got his injury last season. And he came back into Man City and played on the right wing because Saka was unfit. But really, you see Jesus playing through the middle and, and, and Ketia being the substitute. And would Balogun have been happy to be a substitute? On a team that wins the Premier League? I would oh, imagine well, so, yeah. Well, well, maybe. More trouble in French football as the game between Clermont Foot and Montpellier has to be abandoned, Gab. Yeah, this was uh, this was really ugly. Montpellier were up uh, uh, 4-2. Um, fans threw uh, some sort of firecracker which exploded uh, near the goalkeeper Mori Zhao. He was he was taken in. The doctor said he's not unable to con- to, to to continue. Uh, incidentally, his teammate Nito Borges um, was sent off because he turned and he gave the fans the middle finger after mm-hmm. they uh, they'd thrown the firecracker on the pitch. Now. As a human being, I think Nito Borges, I certainly don't blame him for giving them the middle finger. Um, as a professional footballer, uh, I can see why he was sent off and he was stupid to do mm-hmm. that. There is no need yep. to inflame the situation like that. And also the referee did the right thing in, in sending him off. You, you got to, you know, there are standards out there. Yeah, yeah. This is not how you react. Former FIFA president Sepp Blatter says FIFA's decision to play three games of the 2030 World Cup in South America and the rest in Spain, Portugal, and Morocco is, quote, absurd. He likes compact World Cups. Uh, Robbo, do you agree with with your pal Sepp? Well, I'm not sure he's my pal, but I would agree (laughs) with him on this occasion. You know, I think a World Cup is so much better, in my view, when it's played in one country or between, you know, two countries that are tied together. So there's not too much travelling. It just has a better feel to it. Um... Maybe Qatar was a bit too close to each other, but so you know when when we Brazil, which is a long way apart in terms of, uh, of of the different cities, but it's still in one country and it still had that great feel to it. And so I I would say he's absolutely right. Gab FIFA's press release also noted how every confederation will get a chance to host all or part of the next three World Cups. Is this something to be proud of? 
Yeah. So basically, obviously, 2026 yeah. is going to be in in United States, yeah. Mexico, and Canada, which we know. Uh, because, incidentally, this isn't FIFA as an organization. This is the FIFA Council, which is mm. um, like the FIFA Executive Committee, uh, basically. Um, they've decided that, okay, we're going to get behind the Spain and Portugal and Morocco bid, but then give these three games so we can say, like, oh, look, South America, you got a piece too, right? So this means it's going to be split between UEFA, Africa, and, uh, and Commonwealth. And then 2034, they say, oh, look, Australia and Oceania, sorry, Australia, um, Asia and Oceania, you guys will get a chance to bid. We'll reserve the bidding for you. Now, Oceania is 10 countries, mm. like... Other than New Zealand, these other guys are all tiny islands. New Zealand themselves is what? Less than 3 million people? They can't host World Cup on their own. Um, the people have suggested, oh, maybe they'll get together with Australia and bid. I don't know if they can get together with an Australian bid. While they might have done a great job with the Women's World Cup, mm -hmm. a 48-team World Cup is different than a 32-team yeah, World yeah. Cup, right? It's 50% more teams and more venues. I don't know what the appetite is. So in reality... Well, the, 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 the rumor is they're trying to, get, trying to get Australia and New Zealand so that they can pretend that they had an alternate bid involving Oceania. But in reality, 2034 is going to go to the people who've already announced that they will bid, and that's Saudi Arabia. Um, the other thing is the whole process is accelerated. You have to they announce that you, owe, you have to um, provide submissions of interest yeah. by October 31st. Now, submission of interest... It's not just you writing on the back of an envelope, you know, uh, hey, Johnny, my country wants to host the World Cup. You have to go and, you know, put work into yeah, it, explain Spend things. money on it and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I I, I find this a bit of a stretch. So if you have PR reasons, you want to go out and tell people this, sure. But the broader issue for me is with the 48-team World Cup and with the World Cup, because of the way FIFA set up, needing to generate enormous amounts of money so that they can redistribute it to the member mm. nations, which is what most member nations care about, it's just getting money from FIFA. Mm. I don't see how any confederation other than Asia, uh, UEFA, and CONCACAF can host a World Cup and generate enough revenue on the yeah. own. And Asia obviously includes Australia. So yeah, I'll be really curious to see what happens in 2038. The PGMOL, the body that uh, runs Premier League referees, says it's going to review allowing referees to fly off to other parts of the world, like the UAE, to officiate games. This comes in the wake of the Darren England fiasco when Spurs played Liverpool last week. Robbo, do you have a problem with referees going uh, around the room? I'm sure now that they're paid enough money uh, to concentrate on the league that they're employed to, to, to work on. Uh, particularly if they're doing games, they're assistant referees, they're VAR referees. I'm not sure why you'd want to go and, I suppose, for more money. And if you're extra Bob, come on. He's, uh, he's... Yeah, I think no. If you're if you're attached to one league, that's where you should stay. That's my view. They yeah. should stay. In, I'm in all the... right with them going, but didn't have actual plans. Okay, you mm. can go, but then you need to come back mm. 72 hours before, yes. 48 hours before. I don't think this is what caused his brain no. fart in that game, but it is a question of propriety. There's another issue too, by the way. Uh, which I think we need to mention. Uh, you know, we can go and put our heads in the sand and pretend it's different. Um, if you're going to officiate in the Emirates or in Saudi Arabia, you are going to officiate for the royal family, ultimately, mm. of Abu Dhabi, who happened to own a club in the Premier League. Um, Saudi, you're going to officiate 
effectively for MBS, who controls a club in the Premier League. I think in terms of the saying they're by the referees. No, no, oh, I'm yeah, not suggesting that for one minute, obviously. But I do think it's really important, especially with the mm. conspiracy theorists out there, not give people any ammunition. Yeah. No no appearance of impropriety here, uh, in, in my mm. view, right? So if you want to go and officiate in Qatar, then it's fine. You know, there's rich people there too. Or or wherever else you might be yeah, needed, yeah. right? But this I think they should think long and hard. What does it actually add? To, to, to Darren England's... Not making them better referees apart from exactly. giving them more money. Now, David Beckham was asked about his support for Qatar 2022 World Cup and how that aligns with his status as a supporter of LGBTQ rights. His answer drew criticism, Gab. Yeah, so obviously David Beckham, um, he wasn't just a guy who said, oh, I like Qatar, let me support it. He was actually paid money to... Mm-hmm. A lot of money as well. A lot of money, yeah. Uh, and people saw this because he's always come out strongly in favor of, of, of LGBT rights and stuff like that. Some people suggested he was a gay icon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, quote, I had a lot of conversations with the LGBTQ community uh, when I was there in Qatar. Uh, they said they had enjoyed the games and they felt it was the safest World Cup they'd had for a long time. It was an important competition and one I was proud to be part of, unquote. I think in this situation, David... Um, you kind of missed an opportunity just to keep your mouth shut and just just don't go there, right? Um, because there has to be some level of believability. So this idea that he goes to Doha or he goes all over Qatar um, and speaks to members of the Qatari LGBTQ community mm. and they say, oh, no, it's great that there's a World Cup here. We feel safe. I Sure, okay, fine. What does this have to do with what somebody's views might be on government policy or whatever else. Um, they may not be incompatible. You know, I think it would have been better off even pulling a Jordan Henderson here saying like, well, I support these rights, but blah, 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 openness, whatever, mm. their country. Or just don't talk. Because I think what we've established is when David Beckham speaks, that's not his forte. No, <laughs> certainly you know, isn't. And now he's drawing heat for it, and probably rightly so. Mason Greenwood scored his first goal for Getafe in their 2-1 win over Celta Vigo. Um, Rob, I don't want to get back into, obviously, why he was away. I think we all know why he was away. But the guy hadn't played for more than 18 months. He's now played mm-hmm. three, four games in a row. Are we going to see the real Mason Greenwood or what he was like before and, and how long before that happens? I think you can see uh, the real Mason Greenwood. Um I, I can talk from experience because I had an injury and was out for a, a long time, out for 18 months. Uh, and that was with an injury. He hasn't had an injury. And as long as you've trained properly and you've worked as hard as you possibly could, because when you're not playing, you can train even harder than the players that are, that are playing. Uh, and you don't lose your talent. You know, you don't, you don't suddenly become a, a poor footballer. That talent is still there. The only thing that he has to get back is his confidence and his fitness. And if he's worked hard enough with the right people to get his fitness uh, up to, to, to top gear, and he, can, and he can work really hard on that, and he's got his confidence and his mentality back into the right sort of shape, and he's getting the back end of the, of the uh, fans, and he's getting the back end of the, of the club, there's no reason why he can't be at his top level within six or seven weeks, I wouldn't say. Now, UEFA have postponed a number of Israel games following events at the weekend. Is it the right decision, Gab? Uh, yeah, so they postponed Israel against Switzerland, the Euro qualifier. Yeah. Also some uh, under-21, under-17 qualifiers. I think it's the only decision you can take yeah. given the the tragic events that, they're, that, that are occurring there. You just, you just 
want this to end and you just marry for peace and safety. Wayne Rooney has left DC United after they failed to make the playoffs and is heavily linked with a move to Birmingham City. Um, the speculation reinforced by the fact that Birmingham uh, mm. City have let their manager, John Eustace, go. Mm. And uh, also that um, Wayne Rooney's son, uh, Kai Rooney, I don't believe he was named for Kai Havertz, but who knows, um, has started following a bunch of Birmingham City players on, on Insta. Mm. Uh, what's your take? Well, it looks as though it's probably going to happen. Uh, has Wayne Rooney convinced anybody about his credentials as a coach and a manager? I don't think he would have done at DC United. Did he do a bad job at Derby? He didn't do a bad job at Derby. In under difficult a lot of circumstances. In difficult circumstances. But that, in some ways, that might have made it easier for him because the expectations weren't so great. Now he's going to go to, if he does go to Birmingham, the expectations are that he's going to get them high up in the league. They're going to challenge for the for the playoffs. Uh, and a lot of pressure will be on him. Let's hope he's got a good backroom team because that's important to him. When you're a young manager, you need good backroom stuff. The guy running Birmingham, Birmingham City is, mm-hmm. of course, uh, Gary Cook, who mm-hmm. perhaps is uh, not best known for his time in the UFC, um, but at mm-hmm. Manchester City where he tried to sign Wayne Rooney uh, way, way, many, many moons ago. So uh, there's obviously a relationship there. Now, Lionel Messi played just four MLS games for Inter Miami, who failed to make the playoffs, and yet has been nominated for MLS MVP. Gab, to me, this sounds absurd, isn't it? So what's absurd is in the fact that he's nominated by the... doesn't mean he's been voted or chosen as MVP. Um, It's the way the system works. So in MLS, I I only discovered this last night, but um, every team nominates one or two of their players for the award, and then others vote on it. I guess if you're into Miami and you pretty much stink and, you know, you're not going to make the playoffs, yeah, you could have nominated somebody else. They're not going to win the award anyway. Yeah. Might as well nominate Messi, get a little bit of a, a, of a free pub. Yeah. Because um, remember, it's true that he's had tremendous impact and they won yeah. the, the, the League's Cup and, and they won the U- and they got to the final of the U.S. Yeah. Open Cup, but... Um, that's not considered an MLS voting, so no. we we'll never have anything to do with it. So I'm going to give a Inter Miami a pass here, um, and maybe sort of kind of it. Take up, take up. It's a little bit more of an issue for how MLS do things, but you know, again, not the only quirky thing uh, MLS like to do. Uh, Robo, this brings us to an end. Thanks so much for always for, for a pleasure. Again. In always for, for a Jules. pleasure. Uh, he'll hopefully be back on Thursday. Until then, love the game, love your neighbor, love yourself. 